This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the Young, Restless, and Reformed, which never ends because apparently the po- the Young, Restless, and Reformed is not over. I am your host, Matt. I am joined again, as is makes all things right in the world, joined by Pastor Michael Bowman. How's it going today? I am back. Um, I Matt, uh, let me have a little bit of time off from the latest episode with the SBC guys. I really wanted to be there, uh, but we had family in town and that seemed more important probably. It was the last night we had some family in town visiting, Uh, but I'm glad to be back. I'm uh, sitting here drinking a white chocolate mocha cappuccino from uh, a chilled drink from Quick Trip. It's uh, because when I drink caffeine, it's generally like a 13-year-old girl. (laughs) (laughs) Admittedly. How is that drink? It's actually pretty good. I like it. It's probably way too much sugar for what it is, uh, but yeah. but Prob- it's it's enjoyable right now anyway. I am drinking something truly unenjoyable. I am drinking one of Bubbly's seasonal summer flavors, and uh, there's a reason this flavor is all that was left of the seasonal pack I bought, because <laughs> this is orange creamsicle bubbly. Uh, if you ever liked drinking those things melted down, then you probably would love this flavor. <laughs> if you're everyone else, you probably wouldn't. But Pastor Michael, it's a good summer day um, here on Restless. It's a good 4th of July for all of you. Pastor Michael, um, we stirred the pot last uh, 4th of July. Um, we gave some takes about the battle hymn of the republic <laughs> was that for fourth of july <laughs> it, it the, the worst mistake we've ever made on the podcast <laughs> not so because sp- i disagree with anything that we said but because man was that uh just a firestorm or dumpster fire maybe or firestorm of dumpsters after was- that episode well, this this week this year we are um, we are going to review a a certain uh, YRR related pastor's um, attempt to become the least Fourth of July pastor in the country. It will, to be fair, be hard to surpass Pastor John MacArthur because he says the American War for Independence was indeed sinful, and so it's hard to top that. Um, but if publishing an article soon before the 4th of July with a photo of Constantine on it as as the um as as your model of what a what uh these people with wanting this christian government want enter you into the race john piper is also potentially in the running for the least 4th of July president i mean le- sorry least 4th of July <laughs> pastor in the country pastor michael are you excited to look at some baptist political theory (laughs) i love that you set it up that way um i'll maybe just let my laugh stand as my uh expectation for what we will have moving forward (laughs) let's just let's just have it here so you can see it on your screen the nice thing is i assume that a lot of the a lot of the people that were uh maybe a little bit angry with us for enjoying the battle hymn of the republic could maybe join forces with us 
in not enjoying uh, the Anabaptists as they are once again at it. <laughs> well, here's the the, prop, the true problem is, and so everyone, let us know if you would like us to make this into a regular show. We're just doing this as a as our normal Fourth of July, make everyone happy kind of episode. So we're just doing a short little riff on this uh, this week. However, uh, if you would like us to review this article, which is just so many words, everybody, it's just, <laughs> it just it just does not stop. The audio version of this article, which I think is just probably Pastor John reading this out loud. Um, I looked on my phone and it's about 50, like 50. Uh, there it is. 53 minutes. What? Someone reading this out loud. How long is that's crazy? Look at this. I mean, so this isn't wrote... an article. This is a short book. Yes, this like, is this is a, a short book about uh, political theory. Yes, and um, it is it is always good to remember that. I can't believe you're still scrolling. By the way, people won't no. be able to see this, but um, you are still scrolling. <laughs> I finally got to the end, and so um, it is it is truly long. This is. This article definitely harkens back to the glory days, if you would, if you think of them that way, of TGC, where every article was a short book, and you wondered how anyone had time to do anything but write these articles because they were so long, because you didn't have enough time to read them all, and that is certainly what we are getting for this. I would like to go ahead and announce something before we even, um, even go ahead and review any of this art article just just so we're clear because it's just something i don't it's may not be said enough pastor michael it may not be said enough so happy fourth of july everyone just want you to know my kingdom is not of this world i don't know if that is ever brought up when we talk about these conversations but i just want to <laughs> i want to take that position right now that christ's kingdom is not of this world which is also coincidentally the title of this article pastor michael do you uh do you agree with me that Maybe maybe that verse is do you think that verse is overused or underused when it comes to discussing these issues? Man, when we talk about politics, this is always brought up. And for the record, that's it's probably not a bad thing. Sure. It's I mean, it's a good text to in some way limit what we're talking about. Great. However, like so many other passages in scripture. Um, this one happens to be very often taken out of context. This is maybe the the political theory version, like the Christian political theory version of saying something like, uh, you know, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like this is kind of like that. If this like this could be a little plaque that people have. And then you say, wait a minute, isn't that just a little bit out of context? Isn't that just a little bit? you know, strange to take it in the way that you're taking it. Um, it's maybe not quite as direct or as bold of a, of a misinterpretation, but it is often misinterpreted, I think, or mishandled even uh, when it comes to these kinds of conversations. Mm. I, I will, I will actually make one statement and then I do want to hear about what you, how you might say that this verse appropriately would limit this conversation. Um, let me just say how interesting it is, is this verse for so many people is understood to be the key to like some of of a starting point of Christian political theory. Mm. Now, the idea that we can have Christian political theory 
is fine and debatable. I don't have any issue with someone even saying, is that a thing we can have, right? That's fine. That's debatable. What I find fascinating about this verse being viewed as the key to so many people's like Christian thinking through politics is this verse seems to be exactly not about politics. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like, well, this verse says my kingdom is not of this world. And the application of this is how we apply this in the political sphere. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really good point, I think. Which, um, wow. Which, yeah, I've never thought about it quite in that light, I guess. Yeah, it just seems like it is. We're talking about Christ's kingdom, which is not of this world. And we're saying the first applications we should be thinking through about this are for kingdoms in this world and how Christians should act in kingdoms in this world. And that this verse is the key to understanding that. Which to me just, it strikes me, it struck me as I read this verse again as the title of this article, it just struck me as very strange as I really thought about it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit backwards anyway. Um, and the the fact that Christ says, this kingdom is, my, my kingdom is not of this world, is not to say that there is no, uh, that there, that it has nothing to say about the kingdoms of this world. Right. Um, it's not to say that scripture itself never teaches anything that applies to um, how we operate in the world, in our right. day-to-day lives. It's it To take this as the overarching principle of everything politics, everything civil government, is actually to conflate uh, just on the other, like on the opposite side of what they're usually speaking against which is the conflation of the kingdom of god and the kingdoms of man that you know earthly political kingdoms versus the spiritual kingdom of christ um often this is combating that or what they think is that on one the one hand uh while at the same time it's it's kind of doing the same thing uh just the opposite direction yeah yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, it's fascinating that when this verse is made the key for how a Christian operates in the kingdoms of this world, you're either, you. I think that, yeah, I think this ends up being the problem is that either Christ's kingdom, me being part of Christ's kingdom means for some reason, I it has, it has nothing to do with my life in kingdoms in this world. Um. And so there's this, it's just this, it becomes this very strange use. And so, but that of course is the, the verse that, that uh, John Piper plasters above this statue of Constantine, who, as we've learned in all such conversations is the true villain is the, is the bad guy. <laughs> the Don't, worst, the worst yeah. man to ever live. Constantine destroyed oh. all the witness of the church. <laughs> Don't listen to. Uh, the first church historian Eusebius, when he thanks God for Constantine and all the things that happened because he and his friends were no longer being killed in every turn, right? But <laughs> it's true. I do. It, it is funny to think about like going back and telling these believers that did see the providence of God in this man coming to power and just be like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is horrible for you. Yeah, that's you guys have not even seen what an AR 15 is yet, and that is directly downstream 
of of the his declaration <laughs> of making Christianity a legal religion in the empire. Right. You don't understand. Someday we worship in comfort and security. And this is just horrible. <laughs> this is just a terrible, terrible thing. You, you don't understand. Someday you're going to live at peace in the, in the world. And you don't understand how just a bad thing that is. I just can't yeah. imagine telling people that who are risking their lives for the sake of Christ. And they're going to say, so you mean the prayer the Apostle Paul taught us to pray for our rulers in power so that we can live in peace and proclaim the gospel will be answered so richly? Praise God. Hallelujah. Like, and, well, you put it like that. I mean, get out of here. You're not welcome to my my bummer Fourth of July celebration. Get out of here. So, um, yeah, I again, this is what's so strange is. I the the critic I can hear is a person saying, "Oh, so you're saying he was all great, or you know he was a definite regenerate believer, and all these things." Well, I I don't even know why those. I don't know why I feel even the need within me to want to respond to those things because it's so irrelevant. Yeah, right. His yeah, it is not relevant to the effects to the his rise to power and what god gave the church through that yeah i mean if god can use cyrus in right. the old testament and exactly. and he can be seen as a, a gift of god that like the the divine mercy of god working through a, a wicked ruler to restore the people of god to their place um to to allow the people of god to rebuild that if that can be seen as a really good thing, then I think that we can see Constantine. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I will admit that I'm not maybe the most um, historically adept when it comes to Constantine himself. I know probably as much as anyone uh, who has done moderate work in history on this point, uh, but I've not studied him in depth. I don't know a lot about uh, every little detail of his life, but I, I know that, um, he helped to end a lot of the persecution of brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that a lot of the believers in his day were extremely happy uh, that God provided this kind of relief for them. I know yeah. that he allowed a growth of the influence of believers in the Roman Empire. And I will take that and I will rejoice and you know, may, were there negative effects of some of this? Probably. Uh, but that's just the nature of life in a world that has fallen. There's always going to be unintended consequences. There's going to be things that aren't perfect. Uh, but a lot of times, I think that this goes back to a kind of idealism that a lot of people have. We talk about this when we talked about, you know, the pacifist in the, you know, recent gun control TGC debate that we did. Um, you, you know, passive pacifism, it, you have to be a, a pretty radical idealist. Um, you have mm. to have this ideal in mind that uh, basically never touches the ground um, and you can never actually have it. And then you kind of wash your hands and say, now I don't have to actually do the hard work of living in the world as a fallen place, um, often being given decisions and trade-offs that are not necessarily the perfect option uh, versus the the not or the perfect option versus the bad option, right? That's almost never the choices that we're given, especially when it comes to earthly existence. 
it's a trade-off of, okay, one of the, both of these have maybe potential problems, but that's the only decisions that we can make. And so you have to move forward, trusting that God is going to work even through um, decisions that may be, uh, may be not ideal. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I just have very little time for that kind of extreme idealism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think again, right. Obvious it's, the the things that are well obviously the things that are tar that tarnishes reputation is the like pretty brutal um uh realpolitik like that roman emperors engaged in right which again by our standards was probably the most horrifying things that have ever happened by their standards again it's one of those things where like history understanding someone in their historical context matters yeah he kind of he did what that job does, right? Like, and, and that's not good, but, and then of course, the other thing is what's fascinating is by the end of Constantine's reign, when Rome is falling and St. Augustine writes the city of God to explain that the, that Christ's kingdom carries on, right? That it's not falling with Rome. Um, there, there probably was some confusion, right? alongs of people thinking that once rome was christianized christ's kingdom had come right that um and i think we can make that sound like they were just buffoons and foolish but it is hard to imagine the level of instability of a of a of an empire that had lasted a thousand years disintegrating before their eyes it's just like we need to have a little sympathy i it's hard to imagine how unsettling it would be, for example, for those of us celebrating here on the 4th of July, America, if it disintegrated before eyes. And I don't just mean the government, like your 401k plan dissolves in front of your eyes, your plans for work and where your family is going to live in the future, dissolving before your eyes, the language you speak, the things that tie you to other people just dissolving before your eyes mm -hmm. and you right. really not to mention like invasions exactly. uh, of, you know, enemy populations that are pillaging, that are killing people that are abusing people. Um, and just like that happening all over the place. And so, you know, even if I, even if I make it right, even if I can maintain, like my small community will maintain some stability for the, you know, the time being, I know my children will never know that. And they won't live where I live and they won't speak the language I speak and they won't. Um, and I and that makes me also wonder, will they know the faith I know right after I will there be a church around yep. them? All of these things disintegrating before your eyes. And so before we before we kind of just criticize the faith of these people. We have to understand, again, maybe this is the good reminder here on the 4th of July. This is why Paul's prayer for rulers is a good thing, because we don't want that to happen to people, right? The reformers did not want a revolution. They did not want um, the the nations, the tribes, the, uh, the city-states they lived in to dissolve, um, even though they all knew they weren't good right luther is against the up revolting peasants but he knows why they're mad right um but anyway so there's your there's me not being the least fourth of july pastor in the country but let's read let's at least read 
Pastor John's thesis, which is as long as a blog post. <laughs> well, I'll just say, Pastor John, I know, I wonder how old he is now. It's been a long time since you were in seminary. If I turned in a paper with a three-paragraph thesis statement, uh, I don't know if I would fail it because a lot of my professors are pretty gracious, but it would certainly, I would not score well in the thesis, <laughs> thesis department. Right. Uh, so anyways, we will read, the, I will read the three-paragraph thesis. We'll go, and we will at least um, talk through those um, areas. And so then the rest of this small book published by Desiring God is uh is an um is a explication of the thesis all right so i'll just say the first two paragraphs are very perplexing to me and then the third one confuses me even more so <laughs> it's pretty tough so here we go the thesis of this essay or short book this uh novella if i can call it <laughs> that, is that jesus christ the absolute supreme creator sustainer and ruler of the universe intends to accomplish his saving purposes in the world without reliance on the civil government to teach, defend, or spread the Christian religion as such. Followers of Christ should not use the sword of civil government to enact, enforce, or spread any idea or behavior as explicit, explicitly Christian as part of the Christian religion as such okay so there are some parts of this that are this first paragraph pastor michael what do you what do you think about this let me see if i can make it bigger. so as such are we saying that as long as you don't call it christian you can still do it because because well, <laughs> that's what it sounds a little bit like you can be sneaky about it you just can't be like let, bold in let me how you talk about these things let me read chat uh uh, the, chapter two <laughs> let, me, let me read the second paragraph because it does feel like that's sort of the answer so here's uh here's paragraph two it is critical to understand what i mean by the phrases explicitly christian and the christian religion as such the state may indeed teach defend spread ideas and behaviors that christians support and support for explicitly christian reasons and that non-Christians may support for different reasons. But that is not the same as the states taking on the role of advocacy for the Christian faith as such. It's the latter, not the former, that the New Testament opposes. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so so start it before we get into into the into the third paragraph. Tell me what you think about these things. Yeah. So there seems to be this, you know, so because Christ is the supreme creator, sustainer, ruler, which we completely agree with. Yep. That um, one completely is agree. Gold. Solid and gold. because he intends to accomplish his saving purposes. Um, now he, the assumption is that, okay, he, he intends, so he says he intends to, to accomplish the saving purposes in the world without reliance on the powers of the civil government. Right. Um, I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah. What do you mean by without reliance? Like, do you mean he doesn't need to propagate these things in any way connected to the civil government? Well, sh like on a certain level, sure. Like is the, is the way that the kingdom of God advances through a spiritual means, right? Through the, the work of the church, 
in the proclamation of the gospel, in the dispensing of the means of grace. Yes, right. That is how Christ builds his kingdom. But the idea that this is somehow completely disconnected from any kind of work of the civil government uh, is just, a, it's strange. Um, it's, it is, it's weird, especially as we talked about where, where Paul says that we should pray for those in authority over us, those in places of power, so that we can live a certain kind of life, so that um, it will lead to us being able to, so that it will lead to the, the advancement of the kingdom of God, right? So that we can live at peace and we can in, at peace uh, take the, the gospel wherever we please, worship as we please. Um, that right there seems to directly speak against this idea um, that, that the civil government's not involved. Now, if reliance again means, and this is where a lot of the conflation comes in, there's this assumption that if we say that the civil government has a role in uh, defending the church, in creating the kind of environment where the church can flourish, in uh, giving preferential treatment to Christians as opposed to false religions. If we say something like that, uh, that is taken to mean, oh, you're just trying to propagate Christianity through the civil government right? You're trying to convert people at the tip of the sword. You're trying to use earthly means to accomplish the work of the kingdom. But that's not, that's not what's being said. But there's this assumption that those, those two things are one and the same, that they, they must be the same. There's a, a kind of misunderstanding of these different categories that historically you find in pretty much all of the reformers, at least the magisterial reformers, uh, these clear distinctions but not distinctions in such a way that they're completely separated, right? No, there is not a reformer, a magisterial reformer that would read this and have like, and understand what is being said, except maybe to say, okay, the Anabaptists are at it again. You know, like here they, here they're going again. Yeah. They, what they would be surprised to learn is that the Anabaptists and that mindset is basically what's in charge inside of the predominating view of Western. Yeah. That would be what was surprising. It them. really, by the way. So once you get to the second paragraph and he explains this idea of explicitly Christian, the Christian religion as such, and it is confounding. I mean, it's just confusing. So you're saying you can, the state can propagate Christianity as long as it's not done in a way that says that it's Christian. That yeah. just seems disingenuous, right? It seems like you're just playing some kind of sneaky politics. I don't think that's what he's trying to say, but that's yeah. how it comes across to me. Uh, yep. But it also reeks of a kind of like, you know, so-called principled pluralism. Hey, there's room for everybody at the table, right? We can all find a way to agree, but we know that that doesn't work because we've quite literally been trying to do that for what the last hundred years plus. And look, like, look around you. It's chaos. It's a mess. And not only is it a mess, it has led to the explicit uh, persecution in various forms of Christianity and of Christian principles. And so to think that the answer that will best suit people is this kind of principled pluralism, which again, I'm reading into this, but I think that's what you have to come apart with, right? That, okay, well, Christians and non-Christians can agree on these principles. 
even if they're Christian ideas. Um, but Christians can't, you know, advocate for them because they are Christian principles. Yes. That's just, it's just, it's disingenuous. It's also just, I don't see where you could ever find that. He says the New Testament supports this, but like, give me a verse in the New Testament that says that Christians shouldn't want good for their neighbors, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, how, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Now, maybe I would say this, that, you know, if, if we can agree that the Ten Commandments are um, basically a, in a sense, um, reflect, they are, they are um, coming directly from the Lord, but these things are also reflected in natural law. They're reflected in the way that God made the world, the law that's written on the conscience. Um, then maybe in that sense, I could say, okay, well, let's at least agree to a Ten Commandments, uh, you know, political principles. I don't know. Like, let's let's at least agree to go that far. Uh, but I'm worried that this idea of principle pluralism would even get in the way of that. Right. And uh, and again, when the um, when you'll read in the Protestant reformers, them talking about limiting the kinds of things they want the civil magistrate to enforce to be things um, that are related to natural law, the civil kingdom, communities, mm -hmm. right? All these kinds of things. Um, and they they're they basically mean the Ten Commandments. Yep. Like, just so that's clear, that's basically right. that is what they are talking about is uh, applications of the Ten Commandments mm -hmm. uh, and that that they are they are in that way saying not doctor, you know, more defined or distinguished or denominate denominationally distinguishing doctrine beyond that. That would not be able to, you know, become to in that way now. I think this second paragraph either does definitely read one of two ways. Um, and you kind of got at both of them. I think one basically, unfortunately for John Piper, despite what he would want, makes him the Christian nationalist that um, is the villain. Now, again, am I saying anyone should adopt that title? That's it. I think an open debate because everyone who adopts that title. And I think you guys who use this title so sort of know you're doing this. You are kind of, choosing to play the villain a little bit um but i don't know if we want to make i don't know if you want to choose to be the villain that the news thinks exists pastor michael can agree or disagree with me on that in a moment but when he says the state may indeed teach defend spread ideas and behaviors that christians support if he's saying the state may teach defend and spread ideas like of christianity sorry like whatever else you have to say, people have already determined you are certainly a Christian nationalist, right? This is, this is one of the big things they are trying to root out and destroy and prevent from ever making its head shown that we should do these things. The other thing is the thing that makes me think you actually are right on this. The pluralism piece is whenever he talks about what Christians support he never says uh, Christianity or Christian teaching. He always used this individual people, right? So there might be ideas that you support for explicitly Christian reasons, but everybody else can support for different reasons. And those are the things the state should enforce. Hmm. That, I think, is uh, 
is a limiting principle that will get you almost nowhere, right? Like the idea, again, this is what you have just said to me is actually not that um, it, that you have a principle above pluralism. You basically have made your governing principle of what the civil government should do is democratic voting. Whatever the people vote for is what should happen. Christians can vote from Christian their Christian beliefs. And when that mixes together with what everyone else votes for, that's the right thing for the civil government to do. And this is what Pastor Michael is trying to say. Everyone is realizing doesn't work. And it's not that we have a everyone, we have the best answer, right? People are out promoting different answers to this question. But what we're saying is, ah, the thing I learned in government schools about how democracy just as is people voting is the greatest possible thing we can have to run the civil government everyone's concluding no and not on one side of the political aisle it everyone wants some principle we want something beyond there there is a purpose in um voting in democracy but i don't think um even when it was not so bitterly divisive, I don't think anyone viewed it as like, this is the end all be all of our system. Right. Um, But that, that, that is what I think is, I do think is what's most likely going. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you can go back to Aristotle and recognize that democracy is a horrible and tyrannical form of government. (laughs) So I'll let you uh, go ahead and and, and go back and read that. Yeah. Tell us why, Quick, tell us why here on the 4th of July, why democracy is tyranny. Because I'm I'm here on the 4th of July, man. <laughs> our listeners, while we're recording this beforehand, if our listeners are looking for me, you can find me at a pool party or Riverside Park. I am like, I am, uh, I am waving the flag, man. No tyranny today. So tell me why, Pastor Michael, that doesn't mean I should run get a big democracy tattoo this right. <laughs> i mean for one if we're celebrating independence day um we're celebrating the work of men who by and large were students of aristotle and did not want a democracy right they didn't want a a rule by just everybody because not everybody is actually capable of making the right decisions and um one of the things that aristotle points out is a problem in democracy is that um it will allow uh, basically, um, certain kinds of men to appeal to the base instincts of a majority in order to win office instead of having some kind of, like you're talking about, some kind of, of legitimate virtuous principle behind who is actually going to be ruling and leading. And um, that is exactly what we see, right? I mean, that's, I mean, quite literally, um, we have a system of let me appeal to your basis instincts, what I can give you, um, what what I can provide for you individually, not, hey, what's actually going to be the best and most virtuous way for us to move forward as a people? Um, that's that's not what we have at all. So, so that's what I would, I, you know, again, this is, we were not founded in the U.S. as a democracy. Um, there are certain elements of a, like there's a, a kind of democratic principle maybe um, at play in a lot of the understanding of the American founding. But it is not the same as just a, a full blown democracy, um, which many have tried to steer us toward over the last, you know, I don't know, again, 150 or so years 
Uh, yeah. Maybe longer, maybe from the beginning. I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to uh, speak about that. But yes, there is. Yeah, it's a great point. There is a democratic principle because it's considered one as the American founders, whether or however correct or incorrect they were, it was considered one of the important limiting and governing principles yes. that would create a healthy system. One, the pro- one of the problems with a, a just a pure democracy is that you don't have all of those same limiting principles. So when you have a constitutional republic that involves elements of voting where people can try to hold representatives accountable, uh, but then you also have this play between the various levels of you know state, federal, local politicians, uh, local elected leaders, these different representatives, different branches of the government um, working to create uh, checks and balances and systems of of accountability that will uh, place limitations upon the destructive effects of fallen man in his uh, in his rule and authority. Um, you just it, it's just not simple democracy. But there are a lot of people, and I'm not. This is not me trying to um, just pin this on Baptists. God bless you guys. We love you, Baptists. Uh, but it does seem like this is very common, a common understanding in, in the Baptistic world, probably because, I mean, the, the understanding of the kingdom of God and the church government and how it operates is this idea of, you know, kind of individual autonomy um, rather than having those systems of checks and balances, those different and various uh, graded courts of authority uh, with different representation and different ways of holding people accountable. And so um, that you it comes out a lot um, in these kinds of circles, especially in these more you know pacifistic uh, Anabaptist circles, like I think John Piper represents in a lot of ways. All right, paragraph three, and then we're going to get out of here and get you grilling on this fourth. So the civil government may rightly pass laws that make the spread of the Christian faith and other faiths easier for example laws protecting free speech and free assembly this is not what the new testament opposes the new testament opposes christians looking to the state to teach defend or spread ideas as explicitly christian the sword is not to be an agent of the christian religion as such that is as a religion again this this paragraph is 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 a pretty confounding one now let me make one statement then we can dive into this paragraph because this paragraph almost mirrors the last one oh the state can do all of these things again as long as they don't say they're christian now what i have found interesting is all of these statements in his thesis all of them are in his thesis right this is where he's saying what he's going to argue for now he does argue on a a, a limitation of Christ, the of Christianity in in the civil government, but lots of other times he says the state may do this. The state, if it wanted to, could uh, pass laws to make the spread of Christianity and other faiths easier. It could spread ideas that Christians believe, promote behaviors they want, and he keeps saying they may do this, they could do this. My question is this: Should they do that? If Jesus Christ, this is the issue at the very top of this thing. We said Jesus Christ is the absolute supreme creator, sustainer, ruler of the universe. Right. Then I guess he should have say over this matter. Right. 
when I say the civil magistrate should not ever administer sacraments or do church discipline, as I've confessed as someone who said I hold to the entirety of the Westminster Confession of Faith, I'm saying Jesus Christ does not want you to do this based on what he's explicitly taught in his word, right? I'm not saying maybe or could be, right? Mm. These issues at the end of the day, it's and it's possible, right? The Anabaptists in the Reformation argued and they attempted to do so consistently. Jesus does not want you involved in the civil government, right? But that is a statement. That is a statement of debate, not a state could make the spread of faiths easier. Well, the question is, should they? Is that what Jesus would want? Or no? Does Jesus want anything explicitly Christian in the government? If you say no, then let's go from, right? These are things. And it's this weird, again, it when you speak that way, you move these things, um, I don't know, they just become kind of unreachable. Yeah. It also, it, so it does implicitly lead to the more consistent Anabaptist position that Christians shouldn't ever be involved in the civil government at all um, or hold any kind of civil authority. Um, because otherwise, you, I mean, you have to start asking the question, okay, if I'm a Christian, I'm trying to live in obedience to God and the whole of my life should be directed by him, right? That's, hey, we're all Calvinists. We believe in the the, the sovereignty of God and the way that that um, God uh, God's word applies to all of our lives. Okay, we we can all I think agree on this. Um, okay, so say I'm a a governor in a state. That's where God has providentially put me. That's the authority He's given me. Okay, what? How am I to live as a Christian? Is it something that God wants me to do to make it uh, easier for uh, Satanism and for, you know, uh, satanic sex cults or other kinds of like extremely, you know, wicked religions? Is it is it just as Christian for me to help those things spread as the spread of the true faith? Right. I, you, you, you know, th this where, you know, when he says, that it's just like it, it's okay for the state to you know basically do things that would allow for the spread of the true faith or other faiths where's the limiting principle i guess is my question at right. what point is it not okay at what point is it okay um and maybe he gets to that maybe he maybe does that admittedly we're just reading the thesis uh, but i am i am i guess thoroughly thoroughly confused uh, so uh, let me let me ce finish celebrating this Fourth of July this way. If you are a Christian civil magistrate and in a constitutional republic, all of us have some role in the magistracy as we are able to vote, as we are able to uh, be involved in this. So let me give you some advice from the Westminster Confession of Faith as what what Jesus would want you to do. Um. And this is from the American version. Um, just just so it's clear, that's what we're we're celebrating America today here on the Fourth <laughs> of July. And both Pastor Michael and I uh, hold and adopt the uh, the American version. And so here it is: It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing whereof 
they ought especially maintain piety, justice, and peace according to all the wholesome laws found in their commonwealth. So, for that end, they may lawfully now, and under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasions. Perhaps like was found in 1776. But <laughs> um, this is why I think looking at the Reformed Confessions is going to be the place we have to start. If we are all trying to find... um beyond specific political issues of our moment things that drive us crazy about what's happening today or tomorrow we need to look at the confessional documents and say this was the consensus view this is the consensus view of christians and and start from there i know the uh, a group of christian nationalists just put out the statement on christian nationalism um, again, people can let us know if they'd be interested in us reviewing that in its entirety. If that's shorter than next, John next Piper, 4th of July, next, <laughs> if that's shorter than John Piper's article, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm pretty that. sure it is. I've not like actually read through it, but looking at it briefly, pretty sure it's way uh, shorter. Unbelievable. Um, so, um, but right. These are the things we can do now. Pastor Michael and I did put together a short ebook specifically for this reason where you can see and compare the different confessional statements on the civil magistrate. And so we hope you don't take our word for it, but that you look at those yourself, whether you look at them from the ebook, the Deacon of God, which I will link, or you just go and find these confessions yourself and think through it. That's where we should start. Those are the things. And in fact, the other thing that I've said, I know I've said on this podcast before is, when it comes to applying the Christian faith to the civil government, we don't get dropped into the vacuum. Sorry, should I just tee off for a second on Christian Reconstructionism while we're just ruining the 4th of July for a certain <laughs> Um The problem with that was, as a movement, in many ways, it was basically wishing for a collapse of the American system so that it could reconstruct it in some kind of new Christian um you know, theonomic or not, or, you know, obviously they had differences and, you know, they have like, they had like two friends left by the end. Um, um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was never about reconstructing country. It was about the friends we tried to make along the way, <laughs> um, but, but right. That it, it was specifically based on the need for a complete restart in the country, culture and politics, like that something's going to happen and we are going to be ready to reconstruct everything. But that is not, that just does not seem to be what any Christian, this might be something about our kingdom not being of this world. We don't seem to desire the destruction of kingdoms that we live in so that we can remake them in this idea, this ideal that we have in our mind, right? We work from within. We work and our salt and light from within where we are. Um, and that means Christians in different places in different times are going to have different cultures, governments, and things that um, that all could be in obedience to Jesus Christ. And obviously, we know no one perfectly will be and none will be. But right, so the, the, the other advantage of looking back at these confessional documents are you're not trying to start over. You're not trying to start with an ideal that you're going to impose. You're looking back towards what God has done, what wise Christians have considered, 
and thinking through how is that still influencing us? How can we, um, how can we practice those things and where we are today? Pastor Michael, happy 4th of July. Yeah, happy Independence Day, everybody. God bless the USA. I really mean that. I really do. This is not restless. Okay, I know you just want to get to the show, but I'm actually here to tell you that there's a way that you can get even more restless in your life. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast where there are three different ways starting at just three dollars a month that you can both support this show and at the same time get even more content at least one extra episode a week and often more not to mention the restless telegram channel that you'll have access to 24 7 to interact with all the other patrons if you want more restless in your life this is the way Go to patreon.com backslash the restless podcast. Okay, back to the show.